Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. worth it just for the worship. It's like, my job is done. <laughs> Wasn't that awesome, Connie? It, it always amazes me how, you know, my husband and I travel a lot, and sometimes you just plop into these little oases <laughs> that are carrying such strong anointing and presence and Ah, oh, too exciting. So, um, is there anybody here who hasn't heard me speak? Do I need to do any? Oh, quite a few. Yikes. <laughs> so, maybe I'll, I'll just give a little background here. <laughs> who in the world is that crazy lady? Um, <laughs> so, my husband and I got saved in the tail end of the Jesus movement in the 70s, which tells you how old I am, because um, we weren't babies. <laughs> so uh, we, we got radically saved. I mean, super, we met Jesus. This was just life-changing. And the church we were going to was full of life. And after about five years, we got a new pastor, and it wasn't his fault, but somehow we just meandered into performance. And I was dying in this, on the inside because I don't perform well. <laughs> you know, I'm just one of those people. I can only pretend for so long, you know, and, and then I'm tired, <laughs> and you're going to see the real me. <laughs> And so, for some strange reason, <clears throat> Steve and I, he was on staff at the church. We were elders in the church. And we were just dying. We're literally spiritually dying. And for some reason, we thought, I know what will help. We'll become senior leaders of some church. <laughs> yeah, that'll fix it, right? And God's really merciful, though, <laughs> because we went out, we ended up in the state of Nevada in the middle of the desert, and all we knew is that we needed something we didn't have. And in God's mercy, a few months before we moved to Nevada to become senior leaders, we met a guy named Bill Johnson. It was 1991. Back then, nobody knew who Bill Johnson was. I don't know if you guys know who Bill Johnson is, but most of you probably do. And um, <clears throat> so we decided to invite him out to our little tiny church. When we got there, there was about 30 people. And um, it really isolated. I mean, really isolated. Within a radius of 50 miles, there was probably... 2,500 people. No fast food, no bank, you know. We had a gas station and what we called the store. 
<laughs> I remember Banning Liebscher came out to speak at our church, and I said, well, I've got to go to the store. And he goes, which store? Well, no, the store. <laughs> so really isolated. So he, Bill Johnson comes out, and he ended up coming out for 10 years. But it was like getting born again, again. Because it took our eyes back off of the religion and the performance. And I remember I was meditating on that scripture about um, making, you know, disciples of the nations. And I remember God saying, you know, Wendy, you're not very good at making disciples. And I'm like, well, I noticed. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement. And he goes, do you want to know why? And I'm like, why? You know, because we actually could get people saved. It's just that they would end up just sitting there for a few months and then leaving. And he said, the reason you're not very good at making disciples is because you're trying to get people to act like Jesus instead of believe like Jesus. And when you're trying to act like Jesus, it's called acting. (laughs) And so I, I just began to get this revelation that you don't want to try to do what Jesus did because if you believe like Jesus does, you'll just do it. Because it'll be coming out of identity. I always thought, well, if I could perform it and if I could do it for a few months, then that means I am it. Unfortunately, I could never continue it for a few months. (laughs) So... We got into this thing where the church that we were raised in, we really heard this message about sacrificing, you know, Romans 12.1, giving yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And so we learned how to sacrifice our finances, our time, our dreams, all of that. And then we get out to this little desert place and God says, now I want to teach you about Romans 12, 2, which is don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I realized, oh, I had been trying to transform myself by trying harder. Yeah. And he said, you cannot transform. Transformation doesn't come from sacrifice. We were good at sacrificing, giving it to Jesus and worshiping. And I used to think that, oh, you know, it's really just my heart. You know, if I really loved Jesus, I'd be a better Christian. (laughs) Do you know what happens when you believe that? You're the problem. And only you can fix it. And so one day I'm praying and I'm crying out and I'm saying, God, I just want to be able to give you my whole heart so I could, you know, be who you want me to be. And so I'm saying, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. And then in just frustration, I go, "Ah, I don't even know how to give you my heart. Would you just take it? 
and I heard him so clear. He just said, Wendy, I've got your heart. Now I need your mind. I don't want you to do something different. I want you to believe something different. You cannot consistently do what you don't believe you are. That's incongruent. Most of us are trying to do something different so we can be something different, and you'll never get there that way. I love things about the brain and science, so excuse me if I throw in some stuff. That's not biblical. <laughs> but <laughs> I read this study they did, and they said that it's within every human being's DNA, it's within us to want to better ourselves. You know, it's just, I mean, we do it with our kids. We want them to have more than we had. We want to become more. We, you know, whatever we're interested in, we want to become bigger, increase. We get that from our Father, the God of all increase. And so this study, it was secular, but they said, so it's within every single body, every single person's heart to increase. But they said the average person will never move out of the social or economic sphere that they were born into. The average person never will change. And they said it's not because they're not trying. And this is what the secular scientists said. They said, the reason for that is because they try to do something different before they believe something different. They're trying to increase how much money they make without believing they're worth more money. I remember God told me once, I was praying about the promises of, you know, God's going to meet all of our needs, you know, give and will be given to you, shaken down, you know, pressed down, shaken together. And uh, we just weren't seeing it. We were like, we had this spirit of poverty in our life. And we just, we would get blessed. And then two weeks later, we'd be back to where we were. And I'm like, God, what's going on? How come we can't break through? Why do we live from paycheck to paycheck, just barely enough to get by? When you promise abundance and you say to be generous and we're generous with what we have, but it wasn't much. And so I'm like, what's going on? <clears throat> and he opened up my eyes to something. We had a gentleman in our church who he was just one of those people who wasn't very faithful or a good steward, you know, just, he had like six kids and he'd get a job and then he'd quit in a few months and expect the church to help, you know, feed his kids. And, you know, you do it because you love the kids, but inside we're like, what are we going to do with this guy? And uh, <clears throat> he had this thing though. Every once in a while, he'd go, I'm calling in some money so I can go to a Bethel conference. And I'm like, well, why don't you call in money to feed your kids? <laughs> and 
not kidding you. Every time he would call in money to go to a conference, God would send him the money. And I'm starting to get irritated. And I'm like, God, we're trying to teach this guy. You're, you're ruining it. And he said, well, I'm trying to teach you something. And I'm like, oh. And I'm like, because I didn't realize how much subconsciously I was living at the measure that I had value for myself. It wasn't faith for finances, it was performance for finances. But God said something that changed my life in so many areas. He said, Wendy, you, you're only able to receive what you think you're worth. As soon as I bless you with finances above the amount that you value yourself, you subconsciously sabotage it. And that goes for anointing, favor, you know, when somebody really um, thinks that you're, you're anointed and they love your ministry, if your idea of who you are doesn't match up to their idea, you will subconsciously fail in their eyes because it's very uncomfortable to be around people who expect more from you than you believe you're able to give. It's like, they expect me to be anointed, so I'll tell them how bad I am. So they'll stop expecting something from me. It's all about belief systems that is holding us back. If we want to do something different, we have to believe something different. but hardly anybody starts there. I'm serious. How much time do you spend on what you really believe? And, I, you know, I, I used to believe that, oh, I believe the whole Bible, you know. <laughs> yeah. And God challenged me. He said, Wendy, do you believe I'm going to meet all your needs? And I'm like, oh, yes, I do. You know, I quoted scripture at him. And, <clears throat> and he goes, then why are you worried? And I'm like, do my emotions have to believe it too? And he's like, well, yeah, that's how you'll know you believe it. If your belief hasn't changed your emotions, you don't fully believe it yet. And that's not for condemnation. That's just so we know what the problem is. Because just because we have a mental agreement with something that it's true, it doesn't mean that your subconscious believes it. We have this disconnect with what we believe here and what we believe in here, in our subconscious belief systems. I remember once, <clears throat> probably we'd been in um, Reading for about five years, and. 
my meetings that I would have with students and other people always was at the same coffee shop. And so, you know, usually there was one or two days a week that I would keep having meetings. And we had an intern that opened a new coffee shop. And so I told my personal assistant, from now on, make all of my appointments at this new coffee shop. So the first week comes around where the first meeting is there. Get in the car, and I consciously know I'm going to this new coffee shop. Unfortunately, while I'm driving, <laughs> you know, I, I just ended up at the old coffee shop. Car was turned off, I was parked and everything, and all of a sudden it hits me. What am I doing here? This isn't where I wanted to go. And I did that two and a half times that week. <laughs> and the half was I almost went to the old coffee shop. But I, I remember that half. I'm, I'm, I, you start out consciously knowing where you're going. And then you start thinking about something else. And the subconscious is driving. And so I'm turning around to go to where I really want to go. And I hear God say, unless you change the spirit of your mind, you'll always end up where you've always been. And that's why we consciously want to change where we're going. We consciously want to do something spiritual or do something new or be, you know, try to be what God says we are in Christ. And as long as we're consciously thinking about it, we can do it. Unfortunately, according to science, 85% of your day is unconscious. We have to change a pattern by deliberately choosing to renew our mind, to believe something different. I remember when God started telling me who I was, and I'm arguing with him, you know, he's, you know, he's saying, you know, you're anointed and you're bold and you're the head and not the tail and all this stuff. And I'm like... No, I'm shy. I mean, I was so shy that the first time I stood up to speak, I started crying and just sat down. It was like, and I remember, because I, I stood up, I had five minutes to give a testimony, and I started crying, turned around, sat down, and thought to myself, I will never speak in public again. So I'm, you know, I'm getting these prophetic words that I'm a teacher, and I'm like, <laughs> That involves public speaking. <laughs> That's not me, God. So I'm shy, I'm inadequate, I don't know the word enough, blah, blah, blah. And I hear God say, you know, Wendy, that's not who you are. That's just who you've become. And there's a big difference between what you've become and who you are. We unconsciously think that our identity comes from our past experience. And it's not true. And the way God described it to me was he said, 
is an apple tree an apple tree before it's ever had apples? I'm like, mm, it's still an apple tree. What happens if the apple tree dies before it ever has apples? Then what is it? It's still an apple tree. And so we're smart enough to know that an apple tree isn't an apple tree because it's had apples. An apple tree is actually an apple tree because it was created to have apples. Whether it does it or not, does not change its identity. And that's us. We tend to think our identity keeps changing by the experiences we've had or by other, what other people have called us. And he's saying, no, no, no. Your identity comes from what I created you to be. And we have to renew our mind and get so convinced. So this word, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, really captivated me because, I mean, my life is transformed because I decided I am no longer going to keep saying what I experience or what I feel. I'm going to begin to say what God says. So my life is changing, getting better at all this stuff. And then you know how God likes to just, let's just take that further and stretch you just a bit more. And so I, I'm looking up the word be transformed. And that word transformed in the Greek is metamorpho, which is the word we get more metamorphosis from. And there's a whole story to that. But what really interests me is that that Greek word is the same word when it says that Jesus was transfigured on the mount. So it could say, and Jesus was transformed on the mount. And I realized, you know, we're, we're not supposed to be better humans. We're supposed to be whole new creations, something never seen before. We're born again of the spirit, and then we tell people, stay out of the spirit realm. What do I need a spirit for? <laughs> is it possible, and this is just me dreaming a little bit, but you know, they say that at the most, people only use 20% of their brain. God never wastes anything. What if the parts of our brain that we're not using can only be accessed by the Spirit. Under the anointing of the Spirit, and that when we begin to change what we believe, we actually can do things that were impossible before. When Jesus was transfigured on the mount, when he was metamorphosed, he levitated, he began to shine and glow. He spoke to what we call dead people. 
God's the God of the living. Have you been that transformed yet? <laughs> What's our goal? When you think about in 1 John, when it says, as he is, so are we. What, when we die? No, in this world. How is he? He's resurrected. Most of us are trying to model ourselves after an earthly Jesus when we should be modeling ourselves after a resurrected Jesus. It's why we feel like there's more. We feel like we're not being all that we can be. Yes, you're not. <laughs> but it's not about character. When scripture says to walk in the spirit, it's not talking about good character. I believe in good character. But it's not talking about that. It's talking about learning that you are a spirit and you know how to walk from the spirit and you know how to walk in both realms. There is nothing more sad than a Christian trying to live a Christian life as a human being. You will fail. If your identity is that I am just human, that's why you can't do it. What does it take to renew our mind, to begin to realize I am more spirit than flesh? Have you ever thought about, <clears throat> you know, I don't, this goes back a ways, but I used to do a lot of deliverance ministry and it always was so crazy what these human beings could do under the influence of an evil spirit. Yes. They could talk in another voice. I saw one bend her body in a way that's humanly impossible without breaking bones. I've heard about, you know, witches that levitate, and, you know, and God said, you know, the reason they can do that is because the spiritual realm is on a higher plane than the natural. And when you're spirit, you can make your body do things that isn't natural. I mean, if, if that, like when the seven sons of Sceva decided to go to that guy's house, who had all those demons, and they come and they go, oh, in the name of Jesus, and Paul preaches, we, you know, command you to go, and the demons go, Jesus we know, Peter we know, but who are you? And this one man beats up seven guys and strips the naked. <laughs> I, you know, what are the other six doing? <laughs> That's my question. <laughs> so, I used to read that and I'd think, yeah, demon-possessed people are powerful. <clears throat> and then one day I'm reading that and I just hear God go, 
You know, Wendy, if one man possessed by demons could do that, what can one man possessed by God do? Our problem is, is we will not contend for what we don't believe is ours. If you don't fully believe that you're supposed to be spirit and powerful and the head and not the tail, not just as a theology, but to step into a room and shift the atmosphere because I'm the head and not the tail. But we're so afraid of being powerful. It's like, you know, and, and... Sheesh, not only don't be powerful, but don't steal God's glory, whatever you do. <laughs> Back in the 80s, that was the big fear, you know. Someone compliments you, so you're like, no, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. <laughs> then one day God goes, Wendy, you can be as glorious as you want. And I'm like, is that God? That sounds weird. And he goes, yeah, don't worry. You'll never come close. And I'm like, you're right. There's no competition. The only people who are worried about stealing God's glory are the ones who don't know how glorious he is. So we keep trying to make ourselves small. We're trying to remain human. You are not human. You're a whole new creation. You either believe in that theology or you don't. But we have to begin to renew our mind and to begin to be aware of the spirit within us. For most Christians, they're only aware of their spirit when they're worshiping. And as soon as they leave worship, I'm back in my just old human self. Got to go back into the fray. We have to, you know, there's this fear of pride. You know, fear is wrong. <laughs> pride is misunderstood. Pride is not the belief that you're great. Pride is the belief that you're greater than other people. But we need each other's greatness. We need you to rise up and to believe that you're powerful, that you change things. And one of the things that really helped me is I had gotten up in the middle of the night and God reminded me of that scripture, you know, when Jesus had died, the disciples are in the locked room and Jesus just appears in the locked room. And... So I'm sitting there in the middle of the night just waiting on God and I hear Jesus go, hey, Wendy, do you know how I got into the locked room? 
And I'm like, well, you were dead. So you were a ghost, right? I've seen plenty of ghost movies. Because I'm thinking, you know, you're dead, you don't have any substance. And he goes, no, I'm more real than the wall. I'm trying to get my brain around that. And he goes, the creator cannot have less substance than the creation. And I realized that the spirit didn't have substance to me, and therefore I didn't have faith that it could change anything. We have to begin to train our brain to understand the substance and the reality of a realm that you cannot see with your natural eye yet. So I was reading this biography by um, a brain scientist, and she was at the top of her field teaching other scientists about the brain. And she had a stroke, and she lost the complete use of the side of your brain that you need to be a scientist. So her mom brings her home, and the doctor had given her some things to do with her daughter to help, you know, retrain her brain. And the first thing was to buy um, puzzles for toddlers, you know, so there's like five pieces and you put the puzzles together. And so she dumps them in front of her daughter and she goes, okay, the first thing we're going to do is turn them all right side up. And the brain scientist who had the stroke goes, what's right side up? And she goes, well, look, one side has color and one side doesn't. And she goes, what's color? Because she wasn't seen in color. So her mom starts talking to her about colors and hues and depths. And I don't know, that sounds almost impossible to try to tell somebody what color is if they don't know what it is. But she, this is what she said in her book. As soon as her brain had a concept of color she began to see in color. And then they discovered that she was only seeing one-dimensionally. So everything was like a photograph. And in fact, she said her sense of dimension was so impaired, she could not tell where she began and ended. There was no concept of dimension whatsoever. So her mom begins to teach her and talk to her about it. And she said again, as soon as my brain understood the concept of dimension, I began to see three-dimensionally. And I closed the book. I remember just having this thought, oh, I've been reading the Bible all wrong. What if the Bible is God's attempt to get your brain to have a concept of another realm and another dimension? And that when your brain begins to understand a concept of it, it will begin to see that realm. What if it's every Christian's right to see in both realms? 
The only thing stopping us is our belief systems. We tend to think, well, I'm not worthy enough to see. Or I haven't seen in the past, so I can't see now. Or it's just for those, you know, special Christians. Yeah. Steve and I had this belief system. We didn't realize it, but we had this belief system that God had sovereignly ordained some people to be level 10 Christians, and the rest of us were threes. <laughs> Do you know what happens when you believe that? You're a three. You will never contend for 10. Because you'll never be worthy enough for that. I remember just thinking about the fact that I would hear testimonies of people who would get saved. And the same day they got saved, they would lead people to the Lord. They would heal. I, I remember one story of a lady who came up and she had just gotten saved. She was so excited and most of her friends were drug addicts and you know, she started casting out demons and they were all delivered. Wow. And I'm like, she was only saved one day. I couldn't do that after 10 years. Maybe it's not that you're doing something wrong. Maybe you're believing something wrong. You may not be able to do something different, but I guarantee you can begin to make yourself believe something different. That part's in your power. But you have to make a decision. What are we going to believe? Are we going to let go of those belief systems that keep putting a lid on us based on who we think we are and the fear of being more? You don't become more. You are more. You just haven't let it out. We don't know how to access it. And for me, the biggest thing that I realized is that I was trying to access the things of the spirit by doing something or just with, you know, God, I want it. You know, you pray, but I was striving and I was using this. But the things in the unseen realm can only be accessed by your spirit when you're in the spirit. I like to tell people, because I have so many people say, you know, well, what's my spirit, you know? How do I know I'm in my spirit? And so what I like to tell people is, your spirit is already perfected. It's where? It's seated in heavenly places, right? So it already knows who it is, what it is, and that it has more authority than the natural realm. So you'll know you're in the spirit when you feel like you're in dominion. You feel perfectly loved. 
Have you ever been in a prayer time or a worship time where something just rises up within you and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you know, bring on the hordes of hell. I can take them all. You just feel something rise up. But most Christians think that that's just, oh, God just, you know, zapped me with a little feeling. No, that was the real you finally manifesting. The real you manifesting. You know, God's everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. But he doesn't manifest everywhere. You are spirit. But you don't always manifest. So the trick is, how do I manifest? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When a baby's born, it doesn't understand how this natural realm works. They say that, you know, when mom is in another room and the baby can't see mom, the baby thinks mom doesn't exist. Why? Because the baby doesn't have a concept of another room. Can you get that? So the baby spends the first few years of its life understanding the concepts of this natural realm, you know, of gravity, what's hot, what happens when this happens. You're born again of the spirit. And your spirit wants to begin to teach your brain the concept of another realm. The substance of that realm. Your spirit is more substantial than your body, but you feel like a body instead of a spirit. Well, maybe. Maybe some of you don't. The goal is to get ourselves to be so conscious of our spirit that the limitations are off. We hear these wonderful stories, you know, about um, you know, maybe a robber coming up to someone and they just, you know, something rises up within them called their spirit. And they just know in the name of Jesus and, you know, people run off. What if that, you know, that used to bother me because it's like then I would hear a story about somebody who was robbed and ra raped. And I'm like, but that's not fair, God. Why, that sounds not like a loving God that some people it works and some people it doesn't. And he says, it, I mean, in his mercy, he'll help and stuff. And so don't get condemned. I mean, none of us are where we want to be. But if we would begin to really feel, not just believe, but feel powerful, your spirit should feel like it's in dominion, that it's above even your body. 
that it can walk into a place and shift that atmosphere. We had a lady in the church back in Nevada that now I realize that she had some demonic stuff going on, but when I first got there, it just didn't dawn on me. (laughs) But she could shift an atmosphere so quickly with bitterness and anger and, you know, Steve would get up to preach and she'd be like this and you could, it just put this heaviness on the whole congregation. And it was so frustrating because you try to break through, but it's like she brought her own atmosphere and influenced us all. And I had this one time where we were having a ladies meeting in on a Saturday morning and I walk into the room and there she is in all of her heaviness. <laughs> and I mean, it was like walking into a, a, a wall because I'm kind of a feeler anyway. <laughs> but I walk in and it's like, ugh. I was really hoping it was going to be a good service. <laughs> but it's not going to. It's heavy. This is really heavy. So I made up an excuse to leave because I just thought, I, I got to get out from under this. And so I'm, I'm leaving to just try to find, you know, okay, God, what's, what are we going to do? And as I'm leaving, I hear God say, Wendy, the spirit that's in you is greater than the spirit of in the world. And I literally remember thinking, you mean that literally? (laughs) I mean, because we were pastoring a church. (laughs) I knew that scripture. Greater is he that is in you. And I'm like, you mean what I carry is greater than what she's carrying? If she can influence the room, what can I do? The problem is we are so aware and focused on what they carry that we forget what we carry. Or we've never experienced what we carry. What are you? What are you capable of? It's time to ask the question. One of my favorite quotes. Let's see if I can find it. Is by... um, Yep, I know it's in here somewhere. I could try to just do it by memory, but you know how that goes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Excuse me while I leave. (laughs) 
can't even remember the guy's name. Like, Come on, Jesus. Maybe I'll share it tomorrow. Maybe I'll try. Albert Einstein, he said that he doesn't believe that more facts are what's going to take us further. He said, it's the imagination that will take us further. The problem is, is we're afraid of our imagination. And even if we're not afraid of it, we don't activate it. Did you know that faith is not blind? It's visionary. Faith means you see something that nobody else can see. You see a different outcome. Because everybody else is seeing the same outcome that everybody saw last time. I remember God challenging me. There was a, a friend who there, I can't remember now if it was a son or a daughter, was molested. And I remember having this thought, God, I know you can help them, but, you know, they're going to be changed forever. They're going to need all this counseling. And, and he said, what are you basing that on? The past. Every other person who's ever been molested. I said, can you see something else? And I remember thinking, it seems so unfair that one event in our life can change us forever. Whether it's rape, whether it's something, you know, embarrassing that happened to us or whatever. And I was like, one encounter with darkness changes them forever. And God goes, Wendy, if one encounter with darkness can do that, what can one encounter with light do? We just don't have the same faith in light as we do in darkness. We keep basing the future on the past. But faith is visionary. It means you stand up and you begin to declare that I'm not going to come into agreement that just because this happened, this is going to happen to me. I am going to see something different. And everybody may think I'm crazy. Faith is visionary. How much time do you spend seeing? Where do you see? In the imagination. Do you know what worry is? Worry is imagining a future without God. Worry happens in the imagination. It's time to imagine something different.
to spend time getting a vision of a future that is totally beyond what the world has ever seen before, where you begin to rise up and begin to heal the sick and raise the dead, and all of a sudden you're walking in power and anointing, and you're setting captives free. Jesus said the same, you know, anointing that, that God sent me, I send them. He's sending you with that exact same anointing of wisdom and power. It's just that we're trying to do it as a human. It doesn't flow from your brain. It flows from the spirit. And you can't do that unless you believe you are one. Until every day when you wake up, you feel more like a spirit than a body. What are you more aware of? One of the things I discovered is that when I would feel intimidated or worried or coming near somebody that, you know, was overpowering, I would subconsciously make myself smaller. And God began to talk to me about being aware of when I would close in on myself for protection. And he said, every time you withdraw and make yourself smaller, you have just given ground to the enemy. The atmosphere is yours, not his. To see something, to feel it. You know, and it's not enough, you know, when I make declarations, if it's a new declaration especially, I spend time imagining what it feels like and what it looks like when it's true. Especially how it feels. Because you're, if you can't imagine how it feels, your, your emotions are still stuck in, you know, it never working out, I'll never be healed. I'll never lose weight. I remember when we first started traveling, I put on a lot of weight. And so I'm like, oh, I gotta lose this weight. You know, this isn't healthy. And it created a lot of inflammation in my body. And so I studied up. I'm a researcher at heart, you know, it's just, give me five hours on the laptop to look at stuff. So I did, I'm like, okay. Older women, how do we lose weight? Well, evidently, if you're an older woman, you can't lose weight. Because <laughs> your metabolism and, you know, all these things, that your hormones and, you know, all it did was made me feel like, yeah, I can't lose weight. But I'm like, you know, sometimes a little stubbornness comes in, and I'm like, but I'm going to do it. So I stopped eating. <laughs> and still wasn't losing weight. And I'm like, God, this shouldn't be this hard. And he just gently goes, why are you trying to do something you don't believe you can do? I'm like, ugh, teach this stuff. 
And he said, I want you to stop dieting. And I want you to spend three months changing what you believe. Started making declarations. I lose weight easily. My body's a fat-burning machine. I just look at food and I lose weight. Three months making declaration. And then he released me to lose weight, to actually eat right on the journey of what it is that was bothering my body that was actually preventing it. But we tend to think, oh, but this is, this is a human problem and I'll just solve it humanly. kind of like he's, he's really challenged me on all my beliefs, but I think one of the ones that really hit me was he said, I was reading the scripture that talked about um, Jesus conquering death. And in Genesis where God tells Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit, you surely die. So they eat of the fruit, and they live for a thousand years. And I'm like, interesting. And he began to talk to me about death. He said, death is not an event, it's a force. There's actually a law called the second law of thermodynamics, which in this law, it says everything is wearing out. If everything's wearing out, it's under the law of death. The force of death is causing everything to decrease and to fall apart. Jesus came to give life and that life more abundantly. And he told the people that, and I remember thinking, okay, you're telling these people that you came to give them life, but they're already alive. <laughs> Maybe his concept of death and life are different than ours. If death is a force, then life is a force. It is a force that actually causes things to increase and get better. But we are so stuck in this whole concept of death, it seems so normal. And here's a theory for you. You can take this or leave it. The reason, <laughs> I believe the reason after they ate of the fruit and death came in, but yet most people were living hundreds of years, the reason it took so long for the age of dying to get lower and lower was they didn't have a concept of death. They had no faith for it. 
what, it's going to wear out? My body is going to wear out? What if becoming a Christian in more spirit turns your world upside down? That instead of getting weaker, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. What if it's a force? What if life was a force that when we actually have faith for it, it begins to work in our bodies? It works in our vehicles. It works in our finances. God's the God of increase. We're made in his image. And I believe it has to do with how much of the spirit we actually emanate and believe we carry that it influences the natural realm. Does your spirit, that's one with his spirit, influence your body? Does it influence how you think, the amount of wisdom you have? What if it's perfectly normal that we're all supposed to begin to shine and glow? And, you know, it, it, scripture in Isaiah says, arise and shine. What if it means literally? <laughs> and kings will come to your rising. They're not going to come to you because you just stood up. <laughs> They're going to come to you because something within you rose up within you. And you began to believe that all of creation has been groaning and waiting for me to show up. To speak to the bitter waters and to command them to be sweet. Who needs environmentalists when we have Christians that can command the environment to be pure? Because the spirit will always be able to influence the natural. But you cannot influence if you think you're human. What are you? You've been seated in heavenly places. What are you going to do about it? It's not a theology. It's an actual position. If you're frustrated being a Christian, it's because you think you're a human. <laughs> you're trying to do something you don't believe you are. God never requires us to do something that we're not. The only reason he can say, be ye holy as I am holy, is because you now have holiness in you. And the goal isn't to become holy. The goal is to, how do I release this holiness? How? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Believe you are it. Be so convinced. And it's a journey. 
And I think we're all called to go after different aspects. I mean, there's so many areas. Sometimes I get overwhelmed. It's like, I'd like to do this and this. But you have to renew your mind on purpose. Take something that, you know, you just, your spirit is like, yes, let's do this. Let's go after this belief system right here. Let's see ourselves different. I don't want to just say I'm different. I want to believe it. I want to feel it. I want people to notice it. I love the scripture. Sorry, I'm just seeing. I'm kind of running out of time. It's like, can I land this or do we crash? Or... So, the scripture that talks about being one with Christ, and it even says that we're partakers of the divine nature. Think about something that you have thought you were. Like, if you struggle with thinking that you're shameful, or you're a failure, or you're not enough, or you're not lovable... Think about how that has infected your whole life and how it makes you choose different things. What if you actually believed you are a partaker of the divine nature and you're one with Christ? So think about all the characteristics of God. So one of the first things I went after as a spirit, was because I'm a feeler, I spent a lot of time depressed because... <laughs> There's so many other depressed people, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, join that. So I'm like, I want peace. I'm tired of, you know, being moved by everything that other people are carrying. So I'm like, okay, I'm one with peace. I'm a partaker of divine peace. And I would begin to feel his peace. What would that look like? What if peace in the unseen realm was an actual substance that people could feel and see? And that it would take over a room just like fear takes over a room or anger or, you know, racism. What if peace was even more powerful, and I was it. I don't bring peace by what I say and what I do. I bring peace because I carry it. I am it. I'm one with it. The worst time to try to find peace is in the middle of chaos. If you do not practice peace, Every day, you won't notice when you lose it, and you won't know how to get back to it. You practice peace, so you immediately find, oh, yeah, my peace is gone. I readjust my thoughts. I remember how I felt in my devotional time when I was one with peace and God's presence was all over me and I bring myself back into that realm so that I feel peace. Practice being what you are. 
don't wait until, God, I need peace. It's like, that's going to be almost impossible. You take those little moments in the day. You practice being love. One of my favorites is to practice being light. Because I used to have so much faith in darkness and how it influenced people. And when I, just as a side notice, I'm closing here. If you're a, a prophetic feeler and you have a lot of feelings, I, I complain to God and I'm like, I don't like this gift. <laughs> It'd be more fun if there was more fun people to be around. <laughs> so I'm complaining to God and he goes, that's because you don't understand what your gift is for. And I'm like, well, what's my gift for? And he goes, feelers actually are so aware of the influence of other people's emotions and what they carry that it actually is supposed to increase your belief in that you can influence them. I'm hardly aware now of what other people are feeling because I'm more focused on what I am. I believe I'm going to shift the atmosphere. So feelers are atmosphere changers. And it's, it, it, it's okay to pray about it, but you're really... I mean, people who are under um, maybe a depressive spirit or an angry spirit, they're not praying for you to feel what they feel. Oh, yes, anger. Let them all feel it. You don't need to pray it. They feel it because you just walked in the room. We're feelers. We don't need to pray that they would feel peace. Just be peace. They're in confusion and darkness. You're trying to witness, and they're like, you know, in confusion. Don't pray against their confusion. Just be peace and light. Influence their atmosphere the same way they changed yours. This is who we are. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want to see something different, believe something different. Decide today what you want to believe. And then begin to declare it every day. Write it out. Picture what it looks like. Feel as if it's already done. You access it by the Spirit. I was going to have Connie come up and share, but I lost track of time. So, because I kept looking at that thing, and it's like on. Yeah, I'm like, I don't. What does this mean? It's been 21 something for.
I think it's 21 days and three hours. I don't know. I, I think I just want to close with leading us into being something. So you can sit, you can stand. We're just going to have a little activation here. Hmm. Jesus told me once that most of his children are resurrected beings that are still entombed in their body. And it's time to let it out. So I speak to your spirit right now. Arise and shine. Step out in Jesus' name, in all authority and power. Just begin to picture your spirit, man, rising up. It's bigger than your body. It knows it has dominion. It was created to be the head and not the tail. It was created to begin to... Um, demolish the works of the enemy. It has all power over darkness. It is light and it is powerful. Arise and shine. Picture yourself as God sees you, as every demon sees you as light and peace, a partaker of the divine nature, holy and acceptable, a resurrected being. Ask Jesus is, so are you. And I just speak to every mind to submit to the Spirit and to the understanding of the things of the Spirit and to begin to see the substance of His realm as if it had more weight and glory and authority than anything on this earth, even gravity or consequences. They consequences no longer rule when you're in the spirit. Just be one with God. You and him. Until it just changes how you see yourself and how you feel. Picture yourself getting up in the morning, aware of this life and light in you. And then when you walk into a room, everything changes. The whole earth is groaning and waiting for the revealing of who you are. We bind up any fear of pride. We bind up that fear that makes us afraid to be glorious. I give you permission to be glorious. God wants you to be glorious. Let life, the force of life, just begin to emanate and affect your body. If you have pain or sickness, just don't focus on the sickness. Focus on life. The force of life beginning to affect your very DNA and your cells in your body. Things being restored. 
strength being renewed. God, we just pray in a whole new way. We never want to be the same again. We never want to be the same again. We never want to limit ourselves as human beings. We say yes, God. We say yes to this identity in Christ. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Take us on a journey this weekend where it will be impossible to go back. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.